0: Well, we're going to be in 1 Samuel, chapter number 1, if you'll take your Bibles and turn there, 1 Samuel. In chapter number 1, it's good to see some back that haven't been able to be with us in a while, even this morning. I don't think they're here tonight, but I was glad that Brother Jim and Miss Marianne Anderson were able to be in the Sunday school hour. That's a, that's a big answer to prayer. And, and others that have had some health issues going on are back. So that's, that is a hallelujah for sure. And by the way, if you have good health, y'all just thank God. You know, get to be able to be here, so that's that's a blessing, for sure. So, be mindful to pray for one another, and uh, the health concerns. That's a it's a big part of our church family's care. That's that is for sure. Okay, uh, we're in First Samuel and chapter number one. Last week we started a new series here, um, and the series title is "When a Nation Needs Revival." When a nation needs revival, and and um, we're looking at that. We didn't actually get started so much in Samuel. We looked at a few verses together just to help to get started. But tonight we'll, we'll really get into it and we'll begin in verse number one. We'll read through verse number 19. <clears throat> now there was a certain man of Theum Zophim. How'd you like to live there? <clears throat> Write that down. I just go by the zip code if it were me, you know, just that's it. Of Mount Ephraim. And his name was Elkanah, the son of uh, Jeroham, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zoph, and Ephrathite. Verse 2, and he had two wives. Well, that tells you they needed a revival, <laughs> right? He had two wives. The name of the one was Hannah. And the name of the other was Peninnah. Now, some of you say Penina. I have grew up saying Penina, and then I listened to my Bible program on my phone. They may have it wrong, but they said Penina. So I may say sometimes Penina. I might say Penina. I might say something else, but you know who I'm talking about. All right? So I don't know how you say it, but anyways, there it is. And Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. This is a reoccurring theme in the Bible when God's going to do something significant. And this man went up out of his city yearly to worship and to sacrifice unto the Lord of hosts. That's, that's a significant name, the Lord of hosts. Notice this, we, we hit this last week, in Shiloh. He went to Shiloh. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, the priests of the Lord, were there. And when the time was that Elkanah offered, he gave to Peninnah his wife and to all, her, notice this, her sons and her daughters. So she had a lot of kids. Portions. But unto Hannah, he gave a worthy portion. For he loved Hannah. <clears throat> but the Lord had shut up her womb. And her adversaries, now that'd be Peninnah, right? Her adversary also provoked her sore, for to make her fret, because the Lord had shut up her womb. And as he was, and as he did so year by year, when she went up to the house of the Lord, so she provoked her. Therefore, she that'd be Hannah wept. And did not eat. Then said Elkanah, her husband, to her, Hannah, why weepest thou? And why eatest thou not? And why is thy heart grieved? Am not I better to thee than ten sons that that wouldn't that wasn't the right thing to say right there. I guarantee you. That wasn't the right thing to say right there. We mean well. Yep, we mean well. <laughs> so Hannah rose up after they had eaten in Shiloh and after they had drunk. Now Eli, the priest sat, I want you to notice this, he sat upon a seat by a post of the temple of the Lord. All right, due to his age, due to his size, he sat upon a seat. All right, I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself, aren't I? Um, It says something right here, though. He sat upon a seat. All right. He was in a position of influence, wasn't he, as priest. And she was in bitterness of soul and prayed unto the Lord and and wept sore. The idea is she wept uncontrollably. I mean, just she wept sore. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts. If thou wilt indeed look on the affliction of thine handmaid, notice the humility that she uses here, thine handmaid, and remember me and not forget thine handmaid, but wilt give unto thine handmaid a man child, notice this, then I will give him unto the Lord all the days of his life and there shall no razor come upon his head. Highly significant verse. And it came to pass, as she continued praying before the Lord, that Eli marked her mouth. Now, Hannah, she spake in her heart, only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli thought she had been drunken. And Eli said unto her, How wilt thou be drunken? Put away thy wine from thee. And Hannah answered and said, No, my Lord, I am a woman of a sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, notice this, but have poured out my soul before the Lord. Count not thine handmaid for a daughter of Belial, daughter of Belial, For out of the abundance of my complaint and grief have I spoken hitherto. Then Eli answered and said, go in peace. And the God of Israel grant thee thy petition that thou hast asked of him. And she said, let thine handmaid find grace in thy sight. So the woman went her way and did eat. And notice this, her countenance was no more sad. Peace, peace, wonderful peace came upon her soul. Now, we're going to go ahead and read verse 19, but really, it's a, it's a swing verse. It'll come into next week's message. And I, I like how this is working out in terms of timing with uh, next week and what we're considering. Verse 19, and they rose up in the morning early and worshiped. They bowed in God's presence. They worshiped before the Lord and returned and came to their house to Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And and when it says that he remembered her, that means that he did something about it. And he gave her child, and and obviously you know this, but she called him Samuel because she had asked God for him. All right, so our title tonight is just borrowed from the text, Pour Out Your Soul Before the Lord. Pour out your soul. When, When a nation needs revival, When a nation needs revival, God's people, we need to pour out our soul before the Lord. And so may God bless the reading of his word. As we get into the message here tonight, I'd like to review where we were and try to capture as much of that essence of last week's message as we move forward. It'll help the message here tonight. I'd really like for us to try to catch the um, the, the circumstances surrounding this. Um, oftentimes, in, in preaching messages and, and having a week in between, there's benefit to that. But sometimes there's a, there's a, a little bit of a challenge because of a disconnect, because we've had a, a week and other things on our minds. And so, um, to really understand what's going on here, I, I, I don't want to... Take a lot of time to do review, but I, I do want to try to tie into the time period of what's going on here uh, with it being the days basically of the judges, the, the coming out of the time period of the judges and, and the fact that really the nation, I mean, uh, if, if you're a Bible reader, you know that the nation was in complete disarray at this point, uh, moral decay, religious confusion, is that safe to say? Religious confusion, just syncretism, which means a blending of, of beliefs and, and, and confusion there. And, and the people of God were just in a really, I mean, in a really bad situation. And, and so much so that it, it leaves you wondering, how is this gonna go forward? How are they co- gonna come out of this, this spiritual condition that they're in? I mean, the nation was just in, in a bad situation way and and what would alter? Here's here's a question I think that it begs: What would alter? Maybe even this question: What could alter the course of Israel's history at this point? What could alter their course of history? And 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 if you love America and you think about a, a where we are as a nation, I don't mean to over dramatize this. I don't mean to over emphasize this either. But but truly. Um, as a nation, once again, it's not like we haven't been in a bad spot before, spiritually, morally, um, religiously, et cetera, et cetera. It's not like we haven't faced that because we've had the first great awakening, second great awakening, and, and we need another one. <laughs> yeah. But it, it leaves you wondering, what's going to change the course of our nation's history? What, what, what could get us as a nation back on track and i, I pray that, that 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 would transpire what could do that and and we said last week even if our nation doesn't experience revival then you certainly can and then, and then that's not a cop out that's not that that's not saying well just let's give up kind of fatalistic type thinking and and israel you know uh, under josiah didn't have a a real deep Revival. I mean he had revival and a good measure of the people had revival, but, but they it didn't really last very long. I mean we could be real pessimistic at this point about it, but how about we just go ahead and just trust God and ask God to, to do something that we cannot do? Okay, that would have an impact on lives. But they were they were at a very dire situation because of the downward spiral. And last week's message was entitled this, Playing into the Enemy's Hand. And that's exactly what they did. They played into the enemy's hand, literally. And, and we studied uh, uh, Psalm 78, the latter part of it, and how that God forsook Shiloh, the word that was in our text. He forsook Shiloh and the glory of Israel. Symbolically, the uh, the Ark of the Covenant was taken captive into Philistine territory and and the strength of Israel same same uh, uh, reference there that it was taken captive and, it, and literally what happened is they 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 just played into the hand of their enemy choice by choice and when you choice by choice play into the hand of the enemy then you are at a place where you're not enjoying the hand of the Lord in your life and and you need revival because you need God. That's Israel at this point. That's where they were. They were in the enemy's hands, and it wasn't like God had forsaken them, but, but it, was what is, it was this way that the glory had departed. Ichabod. We're going to come to it in chapter 4 and, and into chapter number 5. Ichabod, the glory had departed. The underlying issue that, that led to the collapse of the nation was the rejection of God's authority for their own and I just want to remind you tonight that any collapse or moral fall uh, that, that anyone has or that we might have would come when we reject God's authority and set ourselves up as our own authority. That, that's how that happens time and time again. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes, and it led them to a place where they desperately needed revival And I'm so glad that Psalm 78 points out how that God awoke as a a warrior, and and there's terminology there that is figurative speaking, but it really conveys how how that God did something about it. He did, he did something about it in full strength. We need revival when we've played into the enemy's hand away from God's presence. What's the solution? How do we have revival? The book of 1 Samuel conveys that to us in this way. The solution that they needed as a nation for revival, the solution for the revival they needed as a nation, rather, listen to this, was found in the home. The solution that they needed for revival was found in the home. I believe with all my heart tonight that the solution, we, the, re, the solution to the revival that we need in America, it'll be found in our churches, no doubt about that. But before it's found in church, it'll be found in our homes. Because then we come together revived. Listen to this. God changed the course of Israel's history. Is that safe to say? Because, I mean, you know the, the book of First Samuel and, I mean, Samuel is a highlight of the book, hands down. Very clear. He was a highlight of the book. He's one of the main Characters, but you also have Saul that we're gonna see, King Saul, but ultimately David. All right. But what led to David? See, all of this is building up to the revival that took place in Israel under the leadership of of, in God's work in a in the heart and in the home of a little boy named David. Um, But God changed the whole course. Of Israel's history, which has an impact on our history and our future. He changed the course of Israel's history through a woman named Hannah. Think about it. You say, well, he could have done it some other way. I get that. I understand that. But he did it through Hannah, whose name means grace. That's what her name means. Hannah. Hannah is, means grace or gracious. Um, and, and here she is, I, I believe in the text, a woman of grace. A woman of grace. Well, I wonder what kind of political position did she have? Uh, what kind of inroad did she have with the, uh, with, the, with the religious crowd of the day? How did she get in and how did she have this influence? That's what we need to consider. Uh, Warren Wiersbe said this, the life and future of a nation depends on the character of the home. Are you listening to this tonight? The the life and future of a nation depends on the character of the home. And then listen to this, please. The character of the home depends on the spiritual life of the parents. I'm going to run that by you one more time. That's worth our consideration here tonight because we all got homes. All right. Or you're going to be leading a home someday, or you're going to be married someday. Hey, listen, are you, are you following me here? Uh, the home, and um, he said, the life and future of a nation depends on the character of the home. Are, are you agree, in agreement with that? The life and future of a nation depends on the character of the home. Why are we where, where we are in America? Well, because of the character of the homes in America. Is that right? Our life and future. Where we are today is a direct result of what has taken place in homes, I realize there's a lot that's taking place on Capitol Hill. I realize there's a lot that has taken place in, in, in Ho- at Hollywood. Mercy, that's evident. And there's a lot that's taken place in a lot of other areas, but all of that was preceded by changes that were taking place in the home. It was not the sexual revolution of the 1960s that got our nation further away from God. It was rather, in many ways, the Industrial Revolution. As men were out of the homes and not influencing kids like they once were. And the sexual revolution of the 1960s was just the fruit of that. The life and future of a nation depends on the character of the home and the character of the home depends on the spiritual life of the parents. So I, I want to I preach here a little bit just to the spiritual life of the parents. I look out and I see some parents here tonight and I'm, I'm one of those and, and, uh, and maybe you're not yet, but you will be. Someday. This was not a perfect home. I'm talking about the home of Elkanah, Hannah, and Peninnah. Uh, <laughs> I've got three ways in my brain to say that. And they're all colliding right now. Penina. went back to how I used to say it <laughs> anyways. Hey, uh, main point is this: not a perfect home. But God's been known to work in some unperfect situations, imperfect situations. He's been known to do that. <clears throat> not a perfect home. I, I, I believe they made some wrong decisions here. Um, God, God made marriage, one man, one woman. One man, one woman, one lifetime. That's God's plan. I mean, you, you cannot make a case otherwise. It's not one man and two women. It's not one woman and two men. It's one man, one woman. So uh, what's going on here? Well, uh, it, it's, it's a violation of God's word. And, and you see it, polygamy uh, throughout, you know, God's word. But just because it's recorded does not mean it's God validating it. Right. Because all you got to do is just look at the home of, let's say, Jacob, as he had Rachel and Leah and the handmaids that were there. I'm telling you, that was a house of chaos. Just think about all the sandals that were in that house. And all the confusion that was in that. I mean, if you you want, if you are into like soap operas, just read Genesis 29 and 30 and you've got a biblical soap opera that's going on there that's real life. I mean, it's chaos, drama. Drama in that home, and and so it's it's not saying this is God's okay with this. No, not by any means. In fact, uh, one man pointed out this way, and I'll just kind of paraphrase what he said: You you can't learn what traffic laws are by watching how people drive out there. Just because somebody's driving that way does not mean that's within the law. No, that's not within the law. So just because Elkanah had two wives, that doesn't mean God's okay with that. Or that David had multiple wives, that doesn't mean God's okay with that. Or that Solomon, how'd that work out for him? Not good. Or concubines, not good. I mean, this is just very evident. This is not a good situation. So how did they get here? Well, I don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us all this story. But, but it appears to me, because Hannah is mentioned first, that probably Elkanah was, was married to Hannah and she was not able to have children. So within their culture, they, it was socially acceptable that if your wife couldn't have a child, you could take a handmaid and have a child by her and it would count. Abraham tried that. And Sarah. By Hagar. What was the result? Confusion that continues today. Today. So I believe they were off in doing this. I believe Elkanah, I I believe, hang on, wait, wait. I'm not down on Elkanah because you can see he's leading his family to worship. He's leading them every year to worship in the midst of the chaos of judges. And and certainly, I mean, here there's another fruit of of judges and the time period, the mindset. And and, and this is not God validating this, saying it's okay. No, it's not okay. But, But it is showing us the situation that they were in. And yes, I believe they made some wrong decisions, but they did not stay at a place where they continued to make wrong decisions. They evidently got some things right with God and moved on. So I I just wanted to hit that here for just a moment because even though you may have made some bad decisions within your family, within your life, within uh, your marriage, uh, does not mean that you cannot lead your family, sir. It does not mean you can't lead your family or that, ma'am, your family can't be a godly family. No, no, no. You say, well, we're a blended family or there was divorce and now there's remarriage and, 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 and things of that nature. I know of no cases of polygamy here, so that's great. So, but, but maybe there's cases of or chaos in the home. Hey, listen, that, that does not mean that God cannot work in your family. Or if you come from a broken home or you didn't grow up with a dad and mom and, and, and all that confusion that was there. Hey, it does not mean God can't work through you, friend. No, it doesn't. It does not at all. Don't think that way because God works in some impossible situations. And so here's a man named Elkanah who's from the tribe of Levi, the Bible would tells us. And he lived in a place called Ephrata, And so he was an Ephr- Ephrathite. And, and so that was showing his geographic location and he was in a prime situation for God to do something amazing. Hannah. Hannah um, was not able to have children, which puts her in the company of ladies like this. Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, Samson's mom, um, Manoah's wife, Elizabeth, who became the mother of John the Baptist. These women were not able to have children. And there's ladies here, my heart goes out to. I, I, uh, I, I pray for them. Many of you I know do. And we have families that have adopted children because of that situation, you know. And that, that can be a real heavy burden. It obviously was heavy on Hannah, wasn't it? It's especially grievous when you look around and you see people that don't care about kids. And here's a family that would care about children. I don't understand it all. I, I don't know. I don't understand all of the reasons as to why that is. And it sometimes doesn't make sense to my brain. But, but I know that God's in control. And I know that God knows what He's doing. And, and here the Bible just plainly tells us that in, in this particular situation that the Lord had, had shut her womb. And, and why, why was that? Well, no doubt because Hannah was supposed to trust Him. But I don't know all the reasons behind that. I just read it just like it is like you do, just in black and white. Here it is. But I like what one man said about this situation. God's tendency is to make our total inability his starting point. God takes our total inability and makes it his starting point. I think what's going on in Hannah's life in many ways is mirroring what's going on in the nation's life. That humanly speaking... Turning this nation around is humanly impossible. Well, that's safe to say, isn't it? Humanly impossible. But there is a God in heaven who often does his greatest work in impossible situations. There was an impossible situation with Sarah who was supposed to have a child, and yet for 25 years she wasn't able to have a child. But she did and called him Isaac. And then Isaac married Rebekah, and Rebekah was without child for many, many years as well. But she had a child, well, she had two at one time, making up for it, right, in in Jacob and Esau. And then Rachel wasn't able to have children. I mean, God does his work in impossible situations. When God wants to change things, sometimes here's what he does. He sends a baby. He sent a baby named Moses. Sent a baby named Jesus. <laughs> and only a week ago, just God does some amazing things. I, I remember the, the uh, individuals that said this. Hey, anybody, you know, significant born in this particular town? Anybody? Anybody, you know, famous born here? Nope, just babies. <laughs> just babies. This was a Difficult circumstance for Hannah. I think all of our hearts would go out to her because it's obvious that she wants to have a child and she's not able to have a child. And on top of that, Elkanah married um, Penna. Say it for me, Angie. Penina. Yeah, that's it. Penina. I don't know why I'm stuck on that. Penina. anyways, here we can move forward. Mar- Thanks, Brother Hardy. Mar- <laughs> married Penina, and... Um, And she has all kinds of kids, sons, daughters. In fact, one one man said she's an overly fertile, mouthy thorn in the flesh. (laughs) I don't know how you feel about that, but that's probably pretty accurate. I mean, the Bible makes it very clear that she provoked Hannah. I think she got some digs in and, because she knew that Elkanah loved Hannah and that she, she wasn't loved like, like Hannah was, but she was able to have kids. And so maybe it played out this way on their yearly trip, you know, to Shiloh. You got your kids ready, Hannah? Mommy, where's Hannah's kids? Maybe she put her kids up to saying that. I don't know, I'm totally speculating here. Uh, All of my kids have their offering ready. You got yours, Hannah? I, I don't know what she said, but she said no doubt some mean things. Men and women alike can be mean. Mean. Kids can be mean. And she was irritating Hannah. But here's one thing I see about Hannah. Brother Allen, good to see you back tonight. That's a real blessing too, so thankful for that. Uh, Here's one thing I see there. Hannah didn't retaliate. She wasn't bitter towards uh, towards her. She wasn't bitter towards the Lord. She was obviously troubled. All you got to do is just read verse 7, 10, 11, 15, and 18. and, And you'll see that she was greatly troubled by the fact that she wasn't able to have children so what did she do? Verse number nine says that she went to the temple of the Lord. Oh, by the way, at this yearly feast they would have, um, then they would eat, and it would be a big festive meal. But but at this this particular year, Hannah was so distraught that she couldn't even eat. You ever been there? Your heart's so heavy so heavy that you, you can't even eat. And so that's, that's where she was. And, so, and she wept bitterly, and, and, and her emotions had overcome her. And, and Peninnah was just continuing to, to uh, provoke her and to provoke her. And, and so she finally just left that scene. And, and, and Elkanah, he said, am I not better than... And we've already covered that. And, and he's trying to console her. But, but she goes to the temple, and there, there is Eli who is sitting on a chair there and a, a, a seat and, and watching all that's going on. He's, he's in a position of authority, but he was not rightly using his position of authority for a position of influence. Because Hophni and Phinehas were taking advantage of the people in terms of their offerings, so much so that the people abhorred the Lord and, and they were laying with women. They were, they were in a sexual scandalizing situation and, and they were taking advantage of people and, and evidently there was drunkenness that was going on around the temple area because, because Eli was saying, why are you drunken? And, and so evidently this is not something that was just like an isolated event. Evidently it had happened and we read back in the Judges how that at Shiloh, that there was also vineyards that were around there. And, and, and so there was all that was going on the dancing women back in Judges. I'm just telling you, friend, listen, Shiloh was in a mess. Shiloh, the place that God had chosen to be the place for his glory to reside. It was in a mess. And, but there I see at Shiloh, there's a woman weeping at Shiloh. She's weeping at Shiloh. And I don't believe for one second that it was just a, a self-centered weeping that's going on. No, it's bigger than that. And she's weeping at Shiloh and, and, and she prays unto the Lord and she vows a vow. I'm looking at verse 11 because it's such a, a pivotal verse in the chapter. She vows a vow to God, and which by the way, vowing a vow to God is very important, very significant and, and something you don't just enter into flippantly. And she certainly did not enter into it flippantly because she did exactly what she said she would do. She said, God, if you will give me a male child, then I will give him back to you for, for, you, for him to serve you all of his days. And, and I will not allow a razor to come up on his head. That has reference back to Numbers chapter number six and the Nazarite type vow, which would be that he's completely be separated unto God all of his life. Oh, she wanted a child. So badly she wanted a child. One man said this, true power is not to be found in one's position in society, but in one's posture before God. I believe there's a contrast here. Eli had a position, but he did not have power. You hear it? He had a position. Uh, Sitting in in the city gates, remember that? Um, Lot sat in the gates. He had a position, but he didn't have influence, did he? But Abraham, oh, Abraham, well, he didn't have a position in Sodom and and, and Gomorrah. He didn't have a position, but who had the greater impact on Sodom and Gomorrah? Lot or Abraham? Well, obviously, Abraham really did, even though only Lot's family did, but that, that is power with God you see that? That is power with God. Abraham had no position in society at that time, but he had power with God. He had a place of prayer. I'm saying to us tonight, listen, we'll see revival when we realize you do not have to have a position of power in society, whether it is political position or religious position or any other, you don't have to have a position of, of influence in society if you have a place of prayer. God changed the course of Israel's history, not because of Eli, who had a position, but because of a woman named Hannah, who had a place of prayer. Amen. You might wonder, what can we do, preacher? I mean, all this is going on in our society. What's going, what, what can we do? Well, you know what? Think about this with me here. Just a second. Our society is not much different than the the society of what was going on in the days of the judges. The violence, the homosexuality, the adultery and all that was going on in Judges is going on today. But watch this now. There was, there was even a preacher, we might say, or there, there was a, a priest in Eli that had the right lineage. All those things was in place that no doubt knew a lot of the Old Testament, but he was not having an impact because he, he was not in a place like Hannah was. Praying. The spiritual insensitivity of Eli is underscored here because he doesn't even recognize that she's actually praying. He thinks she's drunk. And a little bit later in chapter 3, he's not going to hear what Samuel heard. She prayed. She prayed before the Lord. Her lips were moving. She spake in her heart. Her voice was not heard. You ever done that? Just praying. See what I'm doing? My lips are moving. In fact, I like what John Bunyan wrote. He said, in prayer, it is better to have a heart without words than words without a heart. prayer it's better to have a heart without words there's sometimes that your heart is so overcome you can't even get the words out it's better to have, have a heart without words than words without heart now I, I want you to think about this here just a minute why did Hannah vow a vow and why, did she, why was she praying for a child well, you say, well, that, that's obvious. She wanted a child. Is that obvious? Sure. I believe the way that she worded this, the picture was bigger than that. If you look at chapter 2 and verse 17, then you'd see, in fact, just look there right quick. The sin of the young men was very great before the Lord. This is Hophni and Phineas, For men abhorred the offering of the Lord. People knew about what they were doing. Follow me. Israel was aware. They knew. Look at verse 22 and 23. Now Eli was very old and heard all that his sons did unto Israel and how they lay with women that assembled at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And he said unto them, Why do you such things? For I hear of your evil dealings by all this people. Okay, so all I'm trying to establish right now, we're not going to deal with that part of the text, except just to establish this. The people... Knew what was going on. The people knew. Does everybody see that? The people knew about it. I mean, without Facebook and without magazines, they knew about it. Without the new, they knew about it. Why? Because talk got around. You know what's going on down in the temple? You know what's going on the, uh, in Shiloh? Have you, heard, have you heard what they're doing? And, and I heard so-and-so went there, and he had his offering. And the priest, he did this with the offering. And, I mean, just really treating people wrong. This is, this is, a, this is terrible. Can you believe this is going on in Israel? And people were concerned about it. And they even went to, Isra- to I- Eli about it and said, Eli, do you understand what's going on here? So I'm speculating here just a little bit. But with Elkanah going there year by year and Hannah going with him, I believe she knew what was going on. And thus she prayed. And she vowed a vow. And she said, God, if you'll give me a son, I'll give him to you so he can serve you all his days. You say, I'm not I'm not quite sure I'm following you just a minute. Okay, well, hang on. I don't think she prayed for a son just because she wanted the enjoyment of motherhood. I don't think that's wrong. I, I want to be clear here. I don't think that's wrong that a woman would desire to have children. I think that's a wonderful desire. But I don't think it's limited to that with Hannah. I don't think she prayed this way just to finally hush the moving mouth, there's another way of saying that, of Peninnah. I don't think she, I don't, I, I, I'll show her, I don't think that's what she was praying that for. I don't think she was praying for a son just so they'd have some help around the house. I don't think she was praying for a son just because just so they'd have somebody to take care of them when they were in their old age. I think she was praying specifically for a son because as she looked at the spiritual condition and the climate in which she was in and she looked at Shiloh and she knew that, that Elkanah was of the tribe of, Le- of, of Levi and that there was a great need in their country for a heaven-sent spiritual revival, I think she prayed, oh God, please, if you give me a son, then I'll let you do anything with him that you wanted to. I'll raise him out to his wean, and then I'll give him back to you because in our land, it's not just that I want to hold a baby. It's not just that we need some help when we're old, but it's this dear God, we're in a dire situation and I'm asking you to do something great. And Israel's history was changed because a mom was willing to pray that God would use her child parents, I want to exhort every one of us here tonight that God would help us pray the right way for our kids. Not that they would just take care of us when they're old. Are you with me here? Or just that we could enjoy them as parents and the joy of uh, and I love it. I love all the things that come with parenting, the responsibility. I'm thankful for all that. But may, in the situation that we are in today and our nation, I'm saying in our nation here today, it doesn't it behoove us as parents that we'd say, oh God, please my prayer is not that you'd make my son wealthy or well-known or my daughter." or living a comfortable life. But dear God, I'm praying that you'd help me just to do what I can to raise up a seed that might be used of you mightily that would move upon this land that would bring revival to our country. I believe that's the right way to pray. I realize that it's gotta be God that does the calling. By the way, it was God that did the calling. Hannah didn't call him to the ministry. She vowed a vow to God and God called him. I don't believe that you have to be in full-time ministry to serve God. You know, our sons, we've told them, listen, if God calls you to the ministry, then you need to be willing to do that. But if God calls you to physical therapy or if God calls you to to whatever other field of of work that it is, then you serve God, first of all, with all of your heart. That's what we got to do because we're in this this day and time, and God God himself is worthy of our lives, certainly. Hannah couldn't do much. about the social situation of the day, but here's what she could do. She could pray. And she could be submissive to God. Spiritual power is greater than social power. How are we going to change this country? Social power. We're seeing it everywhere, aren't we? Social power. Are you with me? We're going to change this country by social power. No, we're not. No, we're not. By social power, we'll make things worse. No, 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 that's not it. It's spiritual power that comes only from God. We, we, need, we, need, to, we need God to do something that only God can do. So what should we do? Then we should be, if you're a lady, his handmaid that would say, dear Lord, would you do this? If you're a man, then you're his servant and say, dear God, I can't do anything, but I can pray and I can pour my heart out to you. That's what she did. She poured her heart out. The heart is the seat of emotion. The heart is the the center of our thoughts. And the fact, hang on, wait, wait, just think about this. The fact that she poured her heart out meant this. There was a lot in there. And I'm so glad that we serve the God who invites us to his throne of grace that we might just pour our hearts out unto him as his people. And he doesn't shoo us away or say, wait a minute, I can't handle all that. No, he's open to you just pouring your heart out to him. Hannah didn't have a position of influence in society, but she changed. God used her to change the course of the whole nation because she had a place of prayer. And you tonight do not have, many of you, some of you are in positions of influence because of your... Your teaching role, or banking role, or administrative role of some sort—God, God has put you in a position of influence, and that's wonderful. You ought to use that for God's glory. If, if you're coaching Pee Wee baseball, you're in a position of influence. You follow me? If you're working a job, you're in a position of influence. I get that. But many of us, you know, right now I, I think about it in terms of what needs to change in our society. And, and I know God has not gifted me to, to be involved in, in the political realm. I don't have to have, though, you don't have to have that, that position of influence to have an impact on the society. You don't have to have a position of influence if you will take advantage of a place of prayer. You may have a family situation right now that, in many ways, you are very limited to change the nature of that family situation. But why? Well, there'd be a number of reasons, too many for us to really cover specifically very many of them, but it it would be maybe a family situation where there's a wayward member in your family or somebody that's gone away from the Lord or a a situation either with a spouse or with a child or with a grandchild. And on we could go with all these specifics, but I think you understand. And maybe they live across country or they live across town and you haven't talked to them. You're, You're at a place where you can't, you don't have, a position to tell them what to do now. You you know what I found in parenting? It was really easy when they were really little. You can just tell them what to do. (laughs) But as they grow, they make their own choices. You may lose a position of influence or authority in that way, but wait a minute, you still have a position and a place of prayer. Does that make sense? I think you use your influence where you can and it's rightfully right to do in a right way, in a loving way. But you may be in a place where you can't do or say very much. Maybe you already had, maybe you've already said too much. You ever been there? Said too much. I'll tell you one place you can't say too much, that's at the throne of grace. Pour your heart out to God. Some of you are burdened about a closed country. That the gospel might get in and we are in no position to change the mind of China, of North Korea, of India. We're in no position. We have no clout. We have, they, they have not called this office to ask uh, what part of the country do you want to open first? We're in no position of influence, but we have a place of prayer. You don't have to have a position of influence in society since you have a place of prayer. You say, that's too simplistic. It worked. It worked. Hannah prayed. God heard her. He gave her a child. And she called him Samuel. And she brought him back to the Lord and and Eli was there and helped raise him. And she'd visit him every year and bring him a little coat. (laughs) God called on Samuel to do some very difficult things, but He prepared him to do it. God used him to anoint the king of Israel named David. But when you push rewind (laughs) and you go back, wonder how that happened there was a woman weeping in Shiloh who was broken hearted. I think not just over her personal condition, though she was, and understandably so, right? But bigger than that, she was concerned about the condition of her country. And she prayed that God might do something. When a nation needs revival, pour out your heart to God. Father, I want to thank you tonight for the word. And we see here that Israel needed a heaven-sent revival, and we do too. Morally, spiritually, we're in such a bad condition. More than I know, more than we know. But God, I know that, Lord, it's not beyond you. God, help us to be people of prayer. If I remember right, even the revivals of the past, a haystack meeting, a prayer meeting of young men that led to great revival in our own country. Just a group of four men, if I remember that specifically. So God, we just pray that you'd help us to set ourselves to pray to follow this example of a dear lady named Hannah. And God, uh, I just pray you'd help us to pour our hearts out before you. I would imagine there's something on somebody's heart tonight that's heavy, that's causing them maybe to weep sore. I just pray you'd help them to pour their heart out to you. They've got personal need, a family need, a church need, a a work-related matter that's just really weighing on them. God, I pray that you'd help them tonight just to pour their heart out before you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together tonight. Let's pray together tonight. God spoke to your heart.